chapter eighteen of one thing needful this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org one thing needful by mary elizabeth braddon chapter eighteen the oracles are dumb lord lashmar's telegram to mr nestorius sent as soon as the village post-office opened on the morning after stella's flight brought no reply until late in the afternoon when there came an answer from a ducal seat in the neighbourhood of edinburgh to the effect that mr nestorius would be at lashmar castle next morning he is not afraid to face us said lashmar relieved by this reply for in spite of her ladyship's conviction to the contrary he had been tortured all last night and all that day by a rankling suspicion that nestorius had induced stella to elope with him and that his intentions were not altogether honourable lady carmenow did not attempt to hide her disgust at the fuss that was being made about stella's flight i had no idea that lady lashmar's reading-girl was the most important person in the house she said at luncheon when lashmar who was utterly unskilled in concealing his feelings fretted and fumed at the non-arrival of any reply to his telegram and the non-result of his own inquiries in brum where he had spent the morning tramping about with a detective she is very important to my mother answered lashmar moodily no one else can read as well and to be read to is the only relief for my mother's nerves you should write to mrs dallas for a good reader i dare say in her elocution classes she has a dozen girls who can read better than miss boldwood i doubt it with her reading was a gift voice enunciation all were perfect to hear her read milton was like church music i happened to go into her ladyship's room one morning in the middle of lycidas and i stopped on the threshold spellbound till the poem was finished what a pity you did not secure her by a more binding engagement sneered clarice you should have made her lady lashmar and then she would have been always on the spot to read to you and your mother lady carmenow's womanly instinct understood lashmar's feelings better than he did himself she had not been without suspicions upon the subject before to-day there had been something in his manner of speaking about stella that indicated hidden fires and to-day she knew for certain that he had fallen in love with the creature was under the very same unholy influence that had bewitched nestorius the charm of a pale strange loveliness and eyes of dark unfathomable depth lashmar reddened angrily but refrained from speech why didn't you consult a clairvoyant drawled mrs Vavasour you would only have to take a bit of one of the young woman's frocks to a good clairvoyant and he or she would be able to tell you where this young person is and all about her unhappily i have not any good clairvoyant in my visiting-book answered lashmar curtly oh but there must be one in brum there are always clairvoyants everywhere instead of going about that great straggling place with a stupid detective you should have found a clairvoyant and had her the best are always women put into a mesmeric trance there may be something in your idea mrs vavasour lashmar replied more amiably i'll go over to brum this afternoon and hunt for some modern witch of ender if i am imposed upon it will be only so much time wasted 
nothing could have been more hopeless than my exploration with the detective i cannot help being amused at your simplicity in supposing that this young person has gone no further than the nearest town exclaimed clarice with open scorn is it not much more likely that she is in london or paris if you will take the trouble to comprehend that she had absolutely no money when she left the castle began lashmar angrily but i cannot comprehend that she may have had no money from you or from her ladyship but is it so certain that she could not get money from some one else i am sure judging by mr nestorius's air when those two were walking in the park together at dusk the other evening if she had said lend me fifty pounds he would have rushed to his cheque-book that instant i do not think little as i know of her that she would ask mr nestorius for fifty pounds or for five pounds yet the suggestion startled him remembering that little scene on the terrace which implied some very warm feeling such as grateful affection for instance on stella's part perhaps she had taken a gift of money from mr nestorius in order to flee away from a hateful bondage whatever evil thing she has done or whatever harm may happen to her it all must lie at our door he thought meaning himself and his mother lady lashmar had not appeared that day she was much troubled by stella's flight and sorely missed her quiet ministrations but she was troubled far more by the way in which victoria had taken the event why should he be so grieved so angry he who had affected to despise and dislike his dead brother's protege that suggestion about the mesmerist came from a very foolish person and was doubtless utterly foolish in itself but lashmar had fretted himself into a mood in which he felt that he must be doing something no matter what by way of hunting after the missing girl yes he would go and find out a clairvoyant if there were indeed such a person to be found in brum natural means having failed he would try the supernatural he ordered his phaeton and then went off in quest of that scrap of raiment or personal belonging which mrs vavasour had told him would be necessary to bring the seer en rapport with the subject of her search thinking over the past that long ago period of his half-brother's death and his own sudden elevation from the playing fields of eton to the ownership of lashmar and all its belongings he remembered the orphan girl's dangerous illness and betty's devotion to her he had seen betty about the house from time to time and her appearance had always recalled that tower-room and a conversation between him and his mother one stormy afternoon while the child lay in the inner chamber ill of brain fever recalling that conversation now he remembered his own hardness his utter want of sympathy with that young life his powerlessness to comprehend the greatness of her loss he had urged his mother to send her to some orphanage or charity school he remembered and it had seemed to him that it would be sufficient for her to be well fed and decently clad in some school uniform and taught the humblest drudgery by which she might earn her bread when she came to womanhood yes he had been hard unsympathetic cruel with the inherent cruelty of selfish boyhood how different from that tender nature of his brother's which he had once despised and which he now began to admire he went to the corridor outside her ladyship's rooms and knocked at the door of that small apartment which was sacred to barker i want to see your niece barker the young woman who used to look after stella betty was sent for and appeared with swollen eyelids 
and all the traces of a night of tears what have you been crying about asked his lordship sternly i could not help it my lord it was such a blow if she should have drowned herself drowned herself cried lashmar in an awful voice how dare you say such a thing drowned herself his heart seemed to stop beating at the thought of such a calamity a girl driven from that house by a long series of unkindnesses on his mother's part sheer brutality on his own side by cruel speeches and shameful taunts driven to suicide as the nearest easiest refuge the river was so near and she had so loved the river had spent so many a summer day upon that tranquil stream how well he remembered seeing her sitting in the sunshine a childish little figure squatting on a persian rug at the bottom of the punt while hubert reclined near her surrounded with books lounging through the summer day in studious indolence victorian had passed them many a time among the rushes wandering with his rod fly-fishing scorning his brother's repose wondering at the spooniness of a man who could spend his days in the company of a child and a dog or two drowned herself he recalled the deadly pallor of her face the angry light in her eyes as she told him that she was going to march what if that pale intent look heralded a desperate resolve and then memory went further back and recalled the scene of seven years ago when he had turned her out of the library because she had been rude to clarice what a wretch he had been to her from the very beginning he could respect her now for having repulsed clarice's velvety caress and soft purring pity those childish eyes had seen into the artificiality of the young beauty's character had not been hoodwinked by sweet false smiles drowned herself no he would not think that dark thought and yet vivid imagination pictured her lying among the rushes her streaming hair caught and tangled amidst the wild sweet flowers that thrive beside the river those starry eyes glazed in death gazing upward to their kindred stars o oh god if she had done this thing driven to that wild act by his foul tongue would he not stand for ever accursed as her murderer as a fool who had a precious jewel left in his care and who trampled upon it and flung it away i will have the river dragged to-night he thought secretly after dark i'll go out with the men myself there shall be no talk no scandal then after a hurried turn or two in the corridor he went back to the spot where he had left betty who had been quietly crying and wiping her poor inflamed eyes all the time i want you to give me something that belonged to miss boldwood he said something she has worn or was fond of betty stared at him in blank wonder what motive could he have in asking such a thing he who had never shown the slightest kindness to her poor dear but betty came of a race in whom obedience to superiors was an instinct and she did her best to comply with his lordship's strange demand perhaps you would like to see her old rooms she faltered there's lots of things belonging to her there yes let me see the rooms he ran up to the tower followed breathlessly by betty the rooms had been left undisturbed lashmar castle had never been so full of visitors as to necessitate the occupation of this tower the sitting-room and bedroom were exactly as they had been in stella's childhood stella's pretty little white curtained bed stood ghost-like in one corner and there was betty's simple pallet in another there too in sitting-room and bedroom were all those toys and ornaments which hubert had lavished on his adopted daughter 
the peacock's feathers and indian fans and shiny slippers and ivory chessmen and the silver casket with its modest collection of trinkets there's been nothing touched since his lordship died said betty you mean that stella never had any of these things in her possession after my brother's death interrogated lashmar no my lord her ladyship sent her to sleep in the housemaid's dormitory at the other end of the castle and this room has been kept locked up ever since her ladyship thought the rooms might be wanted some day for visitors and then there were alterations to be made but till her ladyship gave fresh orders everything was to be left as it was but these things belong to miss boldwood said lashmar they are her personal property they were certainly given to her replied betty meekly but with a child of her age of course that doesn't count but it does count muttered lashmar nobody has the right to break faith with a child if my brother gave her these things they were hers it was her ladyship's wish that nothing should be removed from this room said betty and there the things are just as they were left after his lordship's death i did take upon myself to bring away a few books she fretted after her books so sadly poor child and her books were the only pleasure she had such a child to read and such a child to learn i never saw night after night she used to sit up with her poor little ends of candle the half-burned candles are the under-butler's perquisites you know my lord and he used to give me a few odd bits poring over her grammars and her dictionaries till i thought she'd wear her poor eyes out and at the same time she did all the sewing that was required of her and never disobeyed the head housemaid in anything it was a hard life for such a young creature to lead yes it was too hard a life her ladyship should have sent her to school this was no place for her said lashmar shortly he did not want to impugn his mother's conduct least of all in the hearing of a servant and yet he felt there had been cruelty he recalled that stormy afternoon the last the only time he had ever been in this room and that he himself in hardness had out herited herod he had been even more cruel than his mother had suggested some charitable institution poor food and coarse raiment daily toil and the livery of dependence he had thought anything good enough for that life with which he had no sympathy it had never entered into his thoughts that this existence which he would have dealt with off-hand was gifted with exceptional intellect richly endowed by nature and of a force to stand against unmerited misfortune he recalled that tall willowy form the perfect carriage of the head the grace and dignity of every movement repression and ill-usage had been powerless to degrade nature's gifts the girl had grown up a lady in spite of her surroundings tyranny had failed to humiliate her no she has not destroyed herself he thought he would not let himself think so poorly of her such a rich young life would not be lightly flung away at the first keen sense of wrong a girl who had endured years of bondage and risen superior to all repressing influences was not likely to drown herself in a fit of temper miss boldwood took a bag away with her he said after a long silence during which he had been looking idly at those objects which had been the treasures of a happy childhood the trinkets and playthings and curiosities from far-off lands do you know what was in it only a few of her books my lord just those she was fondest of i missed them off the shelf in her room and a change of clothes perhaps nothing more it was only a small carpet-bag 
i should not think her wardrobe was very extensive said lashmar she always wore the same gown she is just the same as the rest of us my lord three gowns a year two every day and one bettermost one bettermost gown oh the pretty vanities of girlhood to be reduced to this oh shade of queen elizabeth with a hundred gowns in her wardrobe what time grim death snapped her from need of earthly raiment save one poor garment of woollen one bettermost black stuff gown in a year and two for common wear the same as the rest of us which meant upper and under housemaids perhaps the very scullery and vegetable maids had as much in the republic of servitude no wonder she had fled from such barbarity no wonder either that she had angled for a rich husband i want you to give me a piece of one of her everyday gowns said lashmar approaching the subject somewhat awkwardly just a scrap of the stuff cut off anywhere a cuff for instance yes my lord answered betty as if he had asked for a glass of water you can go and fetch it while i stay here betty curtsied and went off to obey he was glad to be alone in this tower sitting-room to be free to walk to and fro and look about him out of the window yonder over the elm tree tops towards the blue broad reach of river or at the bookshelves and dainty contrivances within the work-baskets and desk and picture-books and the life-size photograph of his dead brother yonder only the fine intellectual head looking out of a dark background no wonder she loved him no wonder she hates me he said to himself betty came back with a black merino cuff cut neatly off the sleeve and pinned in a sheet of note-paper this came off one of her everyday gowns i suppose one that she has worn a good deal yes sir i took it off the oldest of her gowns the stuff is almost threadbare that will do he put it in his pocket wondering what the discreet betty was thinking behind that serious countenance of hers the phaeton was at the door when he went down to the hall he only stopped to inquire if there were any telegrams and finding no tidings from the suspected nestorius he drove off at once on his way back to brum on arriving at that commercial centre lord lashmar went straight to the police-station had there been any news of the missing girl since the morning no there had been nothing heard of any young person answering to the description the want of a photograph of the party was mentioned as a stumbling-block the police officer seemed to consider it strange and even scandalous that in a christian land any young woman could have grown up without having been photographed lashmar asked if there were any person professing to be a clairvoyant resident in brum the sergeant thought not clairvoyance was out of date mediums and thought-readers and gentlemen who wrote upon slates were all the rage nowadays there was no call for clairvoyance there wasn't a living to be made in that line much disgusted at these replies lord lashmar drove off to the hospital where he saw the head physician that gentleman was not an enthusiastic believer in mesmerism or any ism of a distinctly unprofessional character he had heard of no professed mesmerist or clairvoyant in that part of the world of late years and a good job too he added bluntly lashmar drove off still more disgusted he had expected broader views from the faculty he had the threadbare black cuff in his breast-pocket just above his heart but where was the gifted creature who could give him tidings of her who had worn it why could not he who was so intensely troubled by this girl's disappearance project his mind into space and seek her out 
wherever she might be what poor creatures we are hemmed in forever by the narrow precincts of actual existence there was nothing for him to do but to go back to the castle as soon as his horses mouths had been washed out he left the phaeton in the hotel yard and sauntered listlessly along the street looking at shop windows and window bills in sheer vacancy of mind and it was in this condition that he almost ran into his old acquaintance mr stokes of avondale the family practitioner who attended lady lashmar in all her slighter disorders and had even been allowed to see her ladyship's only son safely through the regulation diseases of childhood stokes was an enthusiastic angler and he and victorian had often gone fly-fishing together in the etonians summer holidays you are the very person i want to see said stokes i heard of you at the hospital just now inquiring for a mesmerist i've been up there to see one of my parishioners in the surgical ward compound fracture very pretty case and old pettifer told me you had been inquiring for a mesmerist what a very odd game it isn't a game at all answered lashmar with an irritated air not at all relishing stokes's light-mindedness i have a particular reason for wanting to find a mesmerist and i thought dr pettifer a prejudiced old fool he is answered stokes pleasantly you were quite right there i don't know anything about mesmerism nowadays we seem to have gone beyond it somehow but if a medium can be of any use to you i think i can introduce you to one of the best in england i was going to the line on the chance of finding you when you very nearly capsized me how kind of you stokes a medium you mean spirit rapping and that kind of thing i believe it is something in that way i have never seen the young lady perform but i am told she is really wonderful is she a public performer a person who exhibits her supernatural powers for money nothing of the kind she is a young woman who lives with a very eccentric old lady on the outskirts of this town an old lady who used to live near avondale and whom i have known from my boyhood she was my father's patient and she is my patient and she's as mad as a march hare but perfectly harmless her latest craze taken up nearly twenty years ago is spiritualism she discovered remarkable gifts in a little girl who used to run errands for her dressmaker a motherless and fatherless waif of whose actual parentage nobody can give any account old mrs minchin was so struck with this child then about nine years old that she adopted her and the two have been playing the queerest pranks in the spiritualistic line ever since the old lady is as tough as crocodile's hide and is likely to live well on into her second century but i'm afraid the girl is doomed she is highly hysterical and slightly epileptic and i believe she has worn out her young life in calling up spirits for old mrs minchin if you would like to see her i should above all things interrupted lashmar i think i can manage it have you time to drive as far as thorley thorley was one of the genteel suburbs of brum on the edge of the country time indeed lashmar felt as if he had time to go to the moon he took the doctor back to the hotel and they both got into the phaeton and drove off to thorley to see what could be done with old mrs minchin who was not always disposed to be civil or communicative her moods were understood to depend on the spirits when they were placable she ran over with amiability lashmar had always ridiculed spiritualistic performances 
and pretensions of all kinds for mesmerism or clairvoyance he had a faint half-hearted belief that for the floaters in the air and the wrappers on the underside of tables and the flourishes of spirit hands generally turning out on investigation to be mortal feet he had no respect whatever and yet so weak is humanity that impelled as it were by that threadbare cuff in his breast pocket he burned with impatience to behold and to interrogate mrs minchkin's supernaturally endowed protege beyond the modern suburb of thorley with its smart villas suggestive of retired tradesmen there was a straggling old village of shabbiest cottages and beyond the village there was a bleak stretch of common and on one side of the common remote from the high road and approachable only by a muddy lane stood the house of mrs minchin it was an old and gloomy-looking house in a large neglected garden and seemed altogether a fitting tabernacle for wandering spirits to go in and out of lashmar and stokes were shown into the most dismal drawing-room the former had ever seen a large low room with the faded wallpaper and furniture of the ponderous school just old enough to be hideous and not old enough to be interesting there was no fire and the room smelt of mildew here they waited a quarter of an hour in the hope of at least seeing mrs minchin if not the medium but the elderly parlour-maid who had taken mr stokes's message reappeared after that lapse of time and informed him that mrs minchin was engaged in a seance and could not see any one that evening it was almost as much as my place was worth to knock at her door with your message she told the doctor but i was anxious to oblige you she will see lord lashmar to-morrow afternoon at four o'clock if he would like to call lashmar begged the servant to tell mrs minchin that he would wait upon her at four o'clock precisely but that if she could find it in her heart to receive him sooner a telegram to that effect would add to his sense of obligation and you can tell your mistress that his lordship is a staunch believer added stokes nothing would induce her to see him if she didn't think that answered the servant we all have to be believers here what the cook and all asked lashmore tickled in spite of himself at the idea of a household of spiritualists oh yes my lord cook's a believer but cooking don't count for much in this house and no cook would stay here that wanted to keep her hand in i don't think missus ever knows what she is eating there was no more to be done lord lashmar left his card which would have been a thing of beauty and a joy for ever to any householder in those smart villas yonder but which was as naught to a lady who had intimate relations with far more distinguished members of the peerage to wit lord bacon lord byron and lord brougham with the last of whom she had held long conversations as to his conduct in the famous caroline trial while the poet had apologized to her for the unholier passages of his don juan and the philosopher had communicated newly developed theories which went far beyond anything in his published works lashmar drove mr stokes back to avondale through the autumn dusk amidst odours of damp fallen leaves newly upturned earth and weed burning how is your poor brother's protege the little maid i attended through a bad attack of brain fever asked stokes by and by for the sake of conversation i was surprised to see what a fine-grown young woman she had become when i met her in the park the other day lashmar felt glad that his countenance was hidden by the shades of night as he answered well the fact is we are in some trouble about her she has chosen to leave us abruptly without explanation or apology 
and and we are infernally anxious about her added lashmar forgetting himself oh but i don't see why you should be anxious if she has acted ungratefully that is her lookout i suppose she has gone to some situation that she likes better girls are so frivolous but i am disappointed in her for i always thought her a head and shoulders above the common type of girl End of chapter 18